Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Let's move on to some author stuff. And we're going to talk about podcasting, which I think is great because obviously we both do it. But before we do that, you've been writing for quite a while. What can you think of that you did at one time when you started that you're doing different now that you've changed or learned from? Not that much has changed. Really? From the very beginning of the way I wrote. I've always done a full first draft and then gone back and revised. I guess what's changed the most, of course, is the use of computers. When I started, I was composing my first one because it was done as a school thing, <laughs> is, in a, is handwritten. But I quickly stopped doing that because I had terrible handwriting. <laughs> uh, as soon as I learned to type, I started typing everything. And I've always done a full first draft. I go back from the beginning. I revise it once, twice, whatever. And then I send it off. And I, that has not changed in all these years. The only difference now is that I write it on a computer go back and revise it on the computer two or three times, and then I send it off. I don't use beta readers. I've never had anybody I show it to. The first person who sees it after me is an editor. And yeah, that's nothing has changed really. Nice. Well, that's good to know too, that you don't, if you have a good process, it doesn't mean you have to do the newest, greatest thing that's going on or change what you're doing if it works. One of the great things about my podcast is asking basically that same question to all these other authors. And you find out that everybody does it differently and there is no one way to write. Right. Yeah. I've heard that a lot. Also, most people use word. What do you use? What do you use to write with software services? I use word. I downloaded Scrivener because I'd heard good things about it and I have yet to use it. (laughs) It's, I don't want to learn how to do all that stuff. I just want to type. And of course, word itself has its own foibles and things, but that's what I use. And it mainly because it's the standard for submitting manuscripts and stuff is Word. So uh, when I first started on computers, it was Commodore 64s. Yeah. There was a word processor called Paperclip that I yeah. used. And it was very good, except it just wrapped. Right? It didn't have, it was just, you just kept typing, it would get to the end, and then you'd hit return to make a new paragraph. And it was limited to 499 lines of text per file. And as a result, that turned out to be about nine to 10 pages in actual manuscript format. And all the books I wrote on paperclip have chapters, about nine or 10 pages. And I started training myself to write chapters that were the same length as the file that I could fit onto a paperclip. And that may have carried over. That still seems to me, oh, I feel like I'm about at the end of a chapter. And if I look, it's typically, oh, that's about 10 pages. Right. So I think paperclip got in my head back in Commodore 64 days. <laughs> I, I used uh, SpeedScript, which was a type-in from Compute Gazette that you actually oh, yes. had to enter it by hand. That's totally foreign to the kids nowadays, let me tell you. It's, I did quite a bit of that, actually, with uh, in the same magazine with my Commodore 64 typing in program. Yep. And you make a typo, and you had to go back and find out what it was. Yep. That was good training as a programmer. Uh, yeah. You had to, that was really rough. <laughs> my 
I also I learned basic back in those days and I with the Commodore 64 it had that that music chip. I wrote a complete music entry program in basic uh, where you put in I think it was like a four four digit code which told you the pitch and the duration and however it worked and uh, you could do it by reading the music and then putting in this code wow. for each note just a melody line there was no harmony going on and it worked and it took a long time and when i finished i looked at it and thought okay that worked but i could have bought one for 20 bucks that did it way better right and that's what i said you know what i'm going to leave it to the programmers and i don't think that's the direction i'm going to go but i really enjoyed playing with it at that time so. right that's interesting because i did similar things little programming i programmed a game from the commodore called cosmic arc i re recreated it on the commodore and I went the opposite direction. I went, that was a lot of fun. Let me do it again. So it was fun. I just wasn't satisfied with the results. And rather than in, in writing, I decided, well, I'll just write something better. In programming, I just decided I'm going to leave it to other people who could do it better. Right. So I made a different choice there. My, my roommate in college was a computer programmer, too. So I was very familiar with people who were going into that. And he was all COBOL, COBOL and all that stuff at the time. Fortran. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll say... You like Word, I like Scrivener, and Scrivener just clicked with me and made sense. And I think it is the same type of thing. People who would enjoy programming seem to, or that type of thinking, enjoy Scrivener. And the people that would not enjoy being a programmer seem to like Word a lot more, which is a lot of creative writing types. It just seems like the more analytical and logical your brain, that straightforward black and white type thinking, the more... Scrivener makes sense to you, but that's you know just my observation. I, th I think it has to do with the writing process as well. There are people who do lots of post-it notes and they track scenes and beats and all this stuff, and they'll have flowcharts and things right. for their novels. And I just write out some ideas and start typing. So, yep. <laughs> as, again, it's the different process. And Scrivener is really useful for keeping all these side notes and things. Yeah, and, and I just don't work that way, and I don't think it this point in my life, I'm likely to change. That's the great thing if you write fantasy and sci-fi is you don't have to do quite as much research into what's actually real. <laughs> it depends on the story there. Like the first World Shaper book was written, it's set in a world very much like ours. So I actually had to do lots of research on stuff like apple growing in the Northwest, oh. sailboats and everything. You know, things keep popping up. We think, I don't actually know enough about this to make it believable. I got to research it. <laughs> But yeah, if you're writing something in an entirely made up world, it's a little easier to just say, yeah, it works this way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As long as you're consistent. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about podcasting. You do this. So first of all, what made you want to do a podcast? You've been writing for years. Why do a podcast? I've also done a lot of television and radio broadcasting. I was, I had my own TV show, which was a phone-in show about computers, by the way. It was called Net Talk. People would call in and they'd say, I've got this problem with my computer. And I'd say, that's a very interesting question, Bob, because he was the techie. <laughs> I was a host, but I wasn't answering a lot of the questions. And that went on for years. And I've had a radio program I hosted about local arts uh, called uh, Culture Jam, it was called. And of course, I was a former journalist, so I'd interviewed lots of people. So it was always in the back of my head, I could do a podcast. And the trigger was when World Shapers, the series started, the first book was called World Shaper. You'll notice it has the same name as the podcast, The World Shapers. I thought, here's my opportunity. Also, I'd been in the field a long time. I knew a lot of authors. So I was able to call up. My first three interviews were John Scalzi, 
Robert J. Sawyer and Tanya Huff, wow. all of whom I knew. Uh, Scalzi and I were, as he will say, I was the first person he met in science fiction in person outside of his editor when he came to the Toronto Worldcon. He was late to his first panel. I was on that panel, so he came rushing up and sat down next to me. <laughs> and now his career has gone at a slightly different angle than mine has, but still, I was able to call him up and have him on the show. And after that, it was, and I knew Orson Scott Card because I wrote a biography of him, so I was able to get him on. I'd met Joe Haldeman. So these people were people I knew personally that I could ask to be on the podcast. So once I decided to do it and had climbed that learning curve to learn how to make a podcast and distribute it and all of that, it was just a matter of getting in touch with authors. And once I'd done a few, people would tell me, oh, you, you did a really good job. And so if they had any doubts, they might talk to somebody who had talked to me and they would know that I wasn't going to be an awful person to talk to. So it just grew from there. Thinking, because I did the same thing, it's, well, I could do a podcast that gets my name out there a bit, and I could do books based on that, which then connect to my other books. But I'm also getting these authors on to talk about their books and stuff to include in the anthologies. So they have a voice out there and possibly people discover them. And it's a win-win on both sides, which I love because part of the reason I started this podcast was because I was in some of the groups where they're talking about oh, I made $100,000 last year. And I'm like, I, I can barely get my first book finished. And I couldn't relate. And I knew there were other authors out there that couldn't relate and probably felt discouraged because it's not inspirational when you're struggling to keep a day job, feed the kids and write a little bit to hear this guy. Oh yeah, I went on the beach and finished my last novel. It, you can't relate. So I thought it'd be much more inspirational. Hey, there's a mother that wrote this book at four in the morning before work and taking her kids to school and look what she did. And she, it was that type of thinking. So it, it was a win-win all around from my viewpoint. And I love that that's the same thinking process you had too. And I just, and I've also, when I have gone to conventions and stuff, what I'm really interested in is far less the whatever else they've got on the programming. Oh, I like the science programming. That's always a, a, something I'm a fan of. What I really like is talking about writing. That's why I started going to conventions was to talk to people about writing. Right. And now with the podcast, I get to talk to people about writing. Right. So it works out great. And, and so have you had any guests that come out that came on, they're new, then they're in your anthology, and that it really helped their career, that they feel it was a boom? I haven't asked, but I know certainly newer authors who are very excited about being in an anthology that has these really big established authors too, because that's less likely to happen with the usual submission process probably. And of course, they didn't have to submit. I just asked them, which is always nice. It's always nice to be invited to be in an anthology as opposed to submitting with going into the slush pile. So I, I don't know that it's made any huge difference. My podcast gets... My most popular downloads are like a couple of thousand down, downloads for my two most popular authors who have found on there. But more typically, it's a few hundred downloads and plays. So does that make a difference in book sales or anything like that? Uh, I don't know, but I do think they enjoy the opportunity to talk about the writing. And I think that the it, it can't hurt. Right. <laughs> Whether it's helped or not, nobody has said to me. Uh, I hope it has. It is what it is. Now... With all the years experience you've had and all the writing, why did you choose to do a podcast and spend extra time on that instead of making a writing class or a book? Because 
there isn't a whole lot of direct financial reward doing the podcast and it takes time. It's just something I wanted to do. And when I was, and I often, when I do things like this, I think about when I started out writing as a young writer, there was no, there were no podcasts. There were, I rarely got a chance to talk to a writer of any sort. And here I was subscribed to Writer's Digest. That was about, and the writer magazine. Those are my two insights into writing. And I think when I was a beginning writer, that if I'd had the opportunity to listen to something like the podcast I'm running now, hosting now, that it would have been something I would have really have loved and it would have been helpful to me. So in a way, this is the the good old, I think Robert A. Heinlein popularized it, but the pay it forward idea. Yes. Where yeah. you're you're always helping out the people who are coming behind you. And it's it, it's just, I think that's what a lot of it is. And I enjoy it. The biggest thing is just that I have fun doing it. I only put it out every two weeks, so it's not a it's not a huge honors thing. For a while, I did full transcripts using an automated transcript, but that took so much editing and so much time that it was becoming problematic. So for the last few episodes, I'm not doing that anymore. Also, my site stats indicated that people weren't really reading those; they weren't going to those pages. It didn't look like right. very much. So, um, so I stopped doing that, and that's made it a lot easier. So now it's just a matter of I talk to somebody for an hour. It takes me an maybe an hour to polish it up and and post it and i've done something that's fun and hopefully helpful to other people and has promoted somebody's work and it makes me feel good uh, and then i get an anthology out of it later on exactly yeah <laughs> i love that that it's content and it feeds and builds and i've done that when i talk to an author or i listen to another podcast and hear an author that i'm like oh i need to check that author out i'll just go on my podcast app type in their name and hit episodes from various other podcasts. And occasionally I'll say, oh, I really liked that uh, post and I like the questions. So then I'll check out the other. And I like this other author. So now I'm reading their book, which is why I have such a huge pile of books to read from listening to all these yeah. podcasts. Completely every book by every author I was going to interview before I interviewed them. But I quickly realized, especially every two weeks, I just couldn't do that. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't read. And also it meant that I read nothing else. The only thing I was ever reading was somebody's whose book was coming up and I probably wouldn't get it done. And so then I had all these half read books and then I had to go on to the next one. So now if I read some, I try to get a feel for it. Unfortunately, I can't read all the books of every author that I've talked to, yes. but there have certainly have been some that I went on and finished because I loved them so much. Yeah, um, so. I agree. If I did a podcast episode and read a book from that author, I wouldn't have time to do my own writing each yeah, week. So, exactly. There's only so many hours in the day. Right. And now that I'm a publisher, that's eating up tons of time doing publishing stuff. And I do some audiobook narration. There's an audiobook I want to get onto and of one of mine that I published. There just aren't enough hours in the day. And although the publishing company, Shadowpaw Press, is named after our cat, he's no help at all. <laughs> <laughs> Darn cat. You should get a dog. And oh, yeah. I keep telling him. Lassie would have done this. What <laughs> he just looks at me. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, our dogs just in this weather, and it's 20-something out there, they don't like the – our one dog doesn't like to go out in this weather. Our other dog, short-haired boxer, wants to go out and run around the snow all the time. I'm like, you're going to die. You're going to freeze. <laughs> so I don't know if a dog really would help. When we you started – walk dog. Pardon me? <laughs> have to walk dogs yeah yeah you do when we started before we got on to the actual podcast 
we were talking about what we use to record. So I use Zencaster. I discovered it from, I think, Joanna Penn. Um, and I like what how it does. And they've added video and now they have transcriptions. So there's something to keep in mind. I haven't tried those yet. Transcriptions work, but they take, if you're, if you care about accuracy, you'll spend four hours on an yeah. hour at least Definitely. cleaning it up. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, it might be ninety five percent, but now I have to go back and find that five percent that's not correct. You'll be familiar with the term in writing of pantsers, like plotters and pantsers, people who write by the seat of their pants. The transcription software invariably turned that into Panzer, like the German tank. <laughs> I'm a Panzer. You're a what? You're a German tank. <laughs> Those things. So, what do you use for your podcast that when you record? And what's the other tools and software you use to get it all together and get it out? Um, I use something called, uh, just went out of my head, Clean Feed. That's what it's called. It's just audio. I don't worry about video at all. So that doesn't, doesn't matter to me. And it's very straightforward. They get an email link, they click on it, we're connected. And that's all there is to it. My backup is Skype, which since they added recording is actually does a really good job. Actually, I don't know why I don't use it more because Clean Feed, as I mentioned, when we were talking before we started, I seem to have trouble getting the levels quite right. So sometimes I'll be well, author, tell me about your book. And the author goes, what? that takes a lot of fixing afterwards. And it's never quite good because it also amplifies hisses and stuff when you amplify oh, one voice. Okay. Anyway, I use Audible for the cleanup and assembly of the opening music and my introduction and outro and all that and splice that all together. And then it goes into an MP3. And then I use Blueberry is my, my host. Yeah. It took a lot of research to decide what to do, though. And the one thing I've been looking at Zencaster and I might try it because I like the fact you get two separate audio files, which solves that problem of levels. Yes. And I will say it, it has saved my, my butt several times. Like I said, Zencaster will record each of our files locally and then upload them at the end. So if we do get a drop somewhere, it's not affecting both people or the audio. And they do have a post-production it's just a simple click of a button. And I was hesitant to use that. At first, I was using both audio files, getting them in Audacity and changing, normalizing the levels. And do it. I said, you know what? I'm going to try their post-production. I click it one button, one file, and it's balanced and it sounds good. And I'm like, oh, that's all I'm doing. And the other thing, oh, sorry, you were going to say something? I was just going to say, what's the cost for Zencaster? Oh, it's really not bad. Um, I'm not really sure when I first started, it was right at the beginning of the pandemic and they were like 20 bucks a month for X amount of hours. But then they said, well, because of the pandemic, we're going to offer everybody unlimited hours for the $20 a month. They haven't changed it in a year and a half since then. So I'm not sure where it may end up, but honestly, it, 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 I've got all my files. It backs them up on Google. The individual separated files. For me, it, it works. And Zoom, the other thing I noticed is with Zoom, if my dog walks through and the toenails on the floor, Zoom picks it up, whereas Zencaster seems to block out a lot of background noise. So, well, it, it sounds better than the, the clean feed. One thing on clean feed is you have to manually click a button periodically to download what you've done so far. Uh, and I have on a, one occasion at least failed to do the final download and lost like the last five minutes and had to 
shamefacedly asked the author, oh, could you come back so we can just do that last bit? And that sounds like with Zencaster, that wouldn't be a problem either. No, and that actually has saved me. And you still have the separate files because there are times with various problems where you do the post-production and the, they don't line up. So it sounds like we're talking over each other and asking weird questions for the answers. So you can download the separate files and manually align them. So you get the best of both. The, Actually, looking at our audio files down here, it looks to me like our, our levels are not balanced at all right no, now. I seem to be much softer than you. <laughs> well, that's, that's on your end. On this end, they look a little different. I've discovered that also. Other authors have made the same comment. Okay. Uh, once it's done, it, it, you don't even notice and it balances out well. And I, I still run things through Audacity, put some compressor on it and things. So it, it seems to be sounding good. Yeah, I have Audible set up now so that once I'm done, I run it through a, a match volume thing and it, it just puts out exactly what I need with you know the recommended levels. Right. The newest thing I've been also using, and it's not perfect, is uh, Descript. Again, I think I got this from either Joanna Penn or Jay Thorne. In Descript, you pull the audio file in and it will do a transcript. So you got that. I, there's so many ways to get transcripts nowadays. <laughs> That's not a problem. But what I really like about it is it'll identify all the, and, and, that, and you can just click a button to remove them. You can say, don't do this. You can look through the list and don't do this one, don't do this one or whatever. So it gets rid of some of the, and I've had it remove like two and a half minutes worth of ums from certain podcasts. So it's some editing that I was either taking a really long time or I wasn't doing. And I've listened to it and sometimes it's not quite right and it sounds jerky in certain yeah. places, but mostly it sounds good. And I'm like, that's probably good enough. I usually don't worry about the ums. The things I've taken out occasionally are like a phone rings and somebody has a conversation while we're... And sometimes it's just as part of the ambiance, cats meowing in the background. Yes. Talk to somebody who actually it was Peter V. Brett and he was in Manhattan and there was a sledgehammer or a, a, yeah, not a sledgehammer, a jackhammer going on in the street outside. So that's in the background. Through the whole thing. Yes. One of the reasons I, I do do that is because a lot of the authors are new and I've, I, I, I think I hold the award for interviewing new authors, their first interview, the most first interviews of any author podcast. That, but that, also, the difference, too, because I get deer in the headlights quite often, and I get people where I'm going, tell us a little bit about you and where you live. I live in the Southwest and really wanted to write my book, and it's about this. I'm like, hold on, I'm asking about you, not your book yet, back up. And, you know, the, So I get, that would be like, I then, I went to my friends, and because they're nervous, so. Yeah, yeah. I, Almost, I'm mostly talking to more established writers, so I. I don't think I've ever run into anybody that was that nervous. Not all of them. You know what? That's also, like you said, part of the ambiance. These are new writers. This is their first interview. So it's probably better to come on my podcast and, and feel a little nervous and maybe not do the best interview. Get that practice. Get it under your belt. Get it out of the way. So when you do something bigger that thousands of people are listening to, you're, you're coming across in a much better way. I used to run into that as a newspaper reporter. And often it'd be a young person I was interviewing who says, so you just set the provincial record in the shot put. Uh, what was that like for you? Good. 
in what way was it good? I liked it. You know? And then you said, you're supposed to get a 500 word story out of this. And it, it was like pulling teeth sometimes. Actually, one of the worst ones I talked to was a young computer guy. Computer. This was, he was programming on a trash, uh, TRS-80. Trash-80. I've always called them trash-80s. And, and all he was so focused on, he wanted to talk in great detail about coding. This wasn't going to fly with the people who are reading the weekly newspaper out in right. our rural agricultural area. So I was trying to draw stuff out. Those would have looked awful if they'd been podcasts. As well, at least one thing with a written interview, you can add and stretch and massage and make it flow. Um, but yeah, I have run into that. <laughs> right. So when you talk to your guests, I have I've worked it up over time a list of questions that I generally ask. A lot of times we go off topic and start asking, talking some other things. Do you have general questions that are the same or do you go different with the author with whatever the topic is? It's the same framework. And I tell them this up front because it is a process focused interview. It's an hour long, so it's a good solid hour. And sometimes Orson Scott Card went over two hours because he talked so much. And Sarah Hoyt, who I just talked to, went an hour and a half. And there's been a few like that. I don't care because I'm, who cares? I'm the host. <laughs> um, but it's always the same format. We talk about the biographical information. How'd you get interested in writing? How'd you get started writing? Training, all that kind of stuff. Breaking in. Uh, I always tell them to pick one book or series that they want to focus on as an example of their creative process. And then we just go through that. So I'll start with idea generation, then the planning and outlining, which goes all the way from I just start writing to I write 150-page outlines and everything in between. The writing process. Do you write on Word? Do you write in coffee shops? Do you write in parchment with this quill pen under a tree? Nobody said that yet. If you write longhand, but not very many. Then the revision process, publishing, especially if they're self-publishing or indie publishing, or if they're a mixture like me, we can we sometimes talk about that. Then at the end, I ask the big philosophical question. I always say I should put reverb on that. <laughs> uh, why, do you, why do you think anybody writes? As a human species, why do we tell stories? Why do we write? And why write science fiction fantasy specifically? And I get some great answers. I make, in fact, I intend to do a nonfiction book, um, just drawing on quotes from all these authors. You know, like one, maybe my first hundred interviews, one hundred author, one hundred science fiction fantasy authors talk about the creative process, and it would just be quotes, maybe something short, maybe just an ebook. I don't know. I'm sure I could get something out of it. <laughs> so yeah, that's and they all follow the same format. I tell them that up front so they know what to expect, and off we go. The, and, it, and then you know, wherever tangents take us along. I laugh when you mention that because I actually have been doing the same thing, compiling a book, a year of podcast advice or <laughs> from new author advice and things from putting them together when they're similar topics. So, so I'll tell you what, when I get mine done, I'll send it over to you and you can do the forward for it. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can do the forward. That, that's see what I just did. I told you you could. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I've been thinking about that for a long time. And first it was going to be like my first 50 guests and I'm up to a hundred and I still haven't done it. I need to find right. the time for that. Right. Cause I think it was copies. So yeah. Same way. I was like, Oh, I'll just keep up with it and compile it. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm like, maybe I'll do the first year and then maybe a second year. You know, some, yeah. Um, yeah. That's, and that's the same thing with the anthology. I had to cut it off somewhere. Right. So I thought I've got enough authors in one year if a sizable number of them say they will be part of this, I'll have a book. And sure enough, that's the way it's worked out. Nice. Great. All right. 
Edward, it's been great talking to you about all of this. Before we go, do you have any advice for other authors out there? Either they're looking to get on podcasts, advice on being on a podcast, or do you have advice if they're thinking about starting a podcast? For being on a podcast, all you have to do is reach out. A lot of a lot of podcast hosts are looking for guests. I'm a little different. I mostly invite people to be on because right. but people have contacted me out of the blue. And if I thought they were interesting and, and if I had an opening, because again, only doing it every two weeks, it quickly piles out into the far future, pulled back. So you know, and there is contact information on most podcast websites for how you can reach out. Sometimes it's a form to fill out or whatever. As far as starting one. You just have to do some research. It's not a, there's no great expense involved. A good microphone, a little bit of software, depending on what, how you decide to do it. Zencaster costs a monthly subscription. Clean Feed, I think, is a monthly subscription that I've been using. Blueberry, which is the host. You have to find a host. That's another yeah. bit. But it's not a huge amount of money. And uh, then you should probably have some idea of how to talk to people. That would be... <laughs> And how to ask questions and how to follow up on questions and how to keep it interesting and what to do when there's dead space and nobody's talking and how to jump right back in with something uh, so that you're not the one with the deer in the headlights right. look. Yeah, when you get that <laughs> you, answer of good. Uh, yeah, nothing else. <laughs> and you mentioned Blueberry, and I was going to say earlier, I use that also because it has a great plugin for your WordPress site. So I can easily type up show notes and just put a link to the episode file. And when I hit submit, it automatically submits to Blueberry and goes out to all the great podcast aggregators out there. I recommend that for people too. And we should say it's B-L-U-B-R-Y. There's yes. no E in the berry. <laughs> right. Yeah, very much. So. Great. All right, Edward, thank you for all the talk and advice today. That's appreciated. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.